Hey, welcome back, everyone. Lovely to see you all, as always. Uh, I am joined by a, a really incredible guest um, this week, Philip Cargon, uh, who was the previous uh, chosen chief elect of the Order of Bards, uh, Obates and Druids for, I think, over nearly, nearly 30 years now, <laughs> I think, um, and, and has really been credited with expanding the Order's teachings uh, internationally. Um, so we are here, obviously, to talk about Druidcraft and, and seasonal cycles and all this kind of interesting thing, which, which I know a lot of you have been asking me for uh, over the past um couple of months, I guess we should say, for it's always its own thing. Um, but Philip, thank you so much for coming on. It's wonderful to have you. Oh, hi, Chris. Pleasure to be here. Pleasure to be here. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, so I guess I was I was I was, called, I was giving you uh, giving people a very brief introduction to you there. Um, but for people who maybe aren't familiar with you or, or even maybe aren't familiar with Obod, um, can you I guess can we talk a little bit about your background and and who you are, I guess, and how you came into I guess modern modern druidry, I guess we can say. Yeah, yeah. I suppose well, I suppose you could say that, you know, being born in that generation after the war, so I was born in 1952, you know, seven years out of the Second World War. I mean, it took me a long time to realize how close that is to the end mm. of a war. You know, yeah. when you're growing up, you sort of don't realize it. But when you see, when you experience or you hear of wars, you know, in more recent times, and you see how how their effects echo on, I say so it wasn't until my late 30s that I, I realized I suddenly sort of took on board the impact of being born so close to the end of the Second World War. You know, the bomb sites around and, and um, you know, it's still very much present. You'd go to France on holiday and you'd see right. the, the marks of, you know, uh, German shells on walls and things. Um, and, 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 and so that was a time of um, kind of upheaval, which really sort of moved into, shook everything up in the collective and moved into the second uh, into into um you know after the second world war into the sort of beatnik era move which in the 50s which moved into sort of flower power and all that so so i was i was a kind of child of that generation and so so the sort of two big influences on me really were were um uh you, you know um the psychedelic era i suppose and um this fascination for magic and, and alternative spirituality, and um, and and so so those sort of forces, you know, combined with the fact that my dad was very interested in psychoanalysis. We had a lot of friends who were psychoanalysts, so the so the sort of psychology was very important to me. And 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 they all sort of com conspired really for to me being interested in. And and I met when I was young, when I was eleven, I met the old chief druid who my dad knew. And and so these in, these influences all conspired to sort of make me who I am, I suppose, and 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 interested in psychology, magic, mysticism, altered states of consciousness, and so on. Mm. I'm not sure if yeah. that answers the questions, but just... yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so so I I guess this makes sense. I guess if we're getting into uh, your experiences with Druidcraft as well, right? So I guess the because you trained under uh, Ross Nichols, right, which was who was the uh, the the I guess the founder or in a way I guess kind of. No, well, yeah, founder is, I guess, the right word, right? Um, of of Obod or the the Order of Bards, I mean, yeah, he, yeah. He started. He was he was the member. Um, he was a friend of Gerald Gardner, who was the yeah. sort of founding father of Wicca, you could say, um, and um, some people might say the inventor of other yeah. other, yeah. other people might say <laughs> whatever you know, whatever. That's another whole subject. Uh, and um, but he was a friend of his, and they were both Gerald Gardner. Funny enough, little sort of quirk of history. Mm -hmm. 
Gerald Gardner was a member of the ancient Druid order. Hmm. He was a Druid, and he invited his friend, Ross Nichols, to hmm. join the Druids. So Ross Nichols joined the Druids. And then what happened is, is Ross felt more attached to it, as it were, than, than Gardner. And right involved in it for some time and then the old druid chief died and there was a split the usual sort of schisming thing sure. and ross founded his founded his own order the order of bards of eights and druids in 1964 hmm. and um that was actually the year that i met him um and 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 um, uh, you know got to know him and uh and 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 uh or, or just before perhaps maybe i met him the year before when i was 11. um and anyway so that's 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 yeah that's the story yeah hmm. So I think in that sense, then, because it, it seems like sort of the, the neo-Druidry craft that's, that's sort of being, you know, expound, expounded to a certain extent, it, it diverges from Wicca quite extensively, although I, I've seen various commentators sort of draw parallels between sort of modern mm. Wicca and Wiccan ceremonial practice or, or Wiccan ritual and things and, and Druidic ritual. So so I guess for you and your experience, how does how do the two kind of diverge? So what, what I guess well, are the differences between Druid craft and Wicca? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, well, um, the difference really is uh, the similarities. First of all, mm. I think you know are are this uh, this desire to connect to the pre-Christian influences, the inspiration of the pre-Christian past, um, a desire for something more magical. So there's a, there's an interest in magic uh, as well as mysticism. Mm. Um, uh, so sort of earth-centered, nature-based, magically based. Inspired by the pre-Christian era, by paganism, um, and having this threefold initiatory structure, which again, you know, some people suggest that you know, um, it, Gardner was inspired with by that from his experience of Freemasonry, um, mm. but actually, a threefold sort of initiation pattern feels very archetypal, mm. and um, and so Druidry has that too: bards, ovates, druids. Um, this the use of the circle, you know, the four elements, the four directions, and so on. Um, and so those are all similarities. And then the other big similarity is in the um, the 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 the, the uh, use of working with the eightfold wheel of the year. Mm. So when when Ross and and Gerald Gardner were in um, in the uh, ancient Druid order, they celebrated uh, the summer solstice. And then the two equinoxes, summer solstice at Stonehenge, and then the two equinoxes at Parliament a Hill in London and um, and uh, Tower Hill, mm. and and I, I uh, and then and then but they the t two guys you know together they became interested in together with their female counterparts and and great colleagues you know, Doreen Valiente and the, mm. the Wicked yeah. World. Um, Vera Chapman in their Druid world, um, they they basically filled out the scheme and developed rituals for um, you know the, the, the winter solstice, and, and they and then they and they sort of went their own way with that. So the Wiccan ones are different to the Druid ones, <clears throat> and where they diverge, the differences are <clears throat> that Druidry has this whole bardic strand in it, mm. so that so that one of the key themes in druidry is art and nature art and nature so there's a big stress you know coming out of the whole i stead for a tradition in wales of arts festivals and music and song and poetry and all the rest of it um so you know put very crudely i suppose and you know without nuance you know the, there's more art in druidry than in wicca um mm. 
or rather this yeah you know, i don't not, not quite sure how one would put that but there's more stress in it it's an integral component of it um and um there's um what else um the 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 um the 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 the, the magic in druidry is different i would say um that there's the seem I mean, all these kind of comparisons and contrasts are, are, are obviously very sort of rough, but, sure. but and, and leave out the nuances and people who mix the two. There are loads of people now who mix the two. So the yeah. Well, it's, it, it's one of the things I think I always I always love about Ovald whenever I, I see it come up in the news or anything. It's it's, it's a very kind of eclectic. Yes. And any anyone from any kind of practice can kind of come in. It's like, and it's it's one of the things I think that arguably attracts people to it. In that you know, mm. there's there's no sense of you know. There is a distinct, you know, set druidic mythology that you suddenly have to follow when you come in. It's very embracing of different religious traditions and philosophies. It's very kind and of it, everything. It, it is, isn't it? And it's very um never quite sure how to pronounce it, but missable. You know, this word missable, M-I-S-C-I-B-L-E. Mm. Missable, which is yeah. which is like um so in the in in a book I've written called um, Seek Teachings Everywhere. I, I I start off with a chapter introducing the concept and using the analogy of cocktail making. That right. druidry Drew, is like vodka, which which sort of mixes with everything. You know, you mm. can you know you can be a Christian druid, you can be a Wiccan druid, you can be a you know Buddhist druid, and so on. Mm. Um, so yes, it, yeah, that's true. It, it, there isn't a dogma in druidry, um, but generally the magic in Wicca tends to be. Um, um, focused on ex um you know um I, I the reason i'm hesitating i can see myself getting into trouble with this because i'm making these <laughs> so you know but but you know fo- it's, it's, it's one one distinction would be to say it's more similar to folk magic folk mm. being in order to produce effect healing um you know you, you know uh obtaining abundance of lovers sure. from, yeah you know, all uh, the typical uh, cunning folk stuff yeah all the cunning folk stuff whereas druidry Probably you could say has a tendency to be more like high magic, whose focus tends to be um, transformation of the self. Mm. Right. Nice. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess you can, you can yeah. see it. And I think one of the things that's always interested me about it, because I, I even, I mean, you, we see it in some traditions of, of folk magic, and, and you know, a sense sort of the early '90s and stuff. There has been this movement of traditional witchcraft versus Wicca. That's kind of. Yeah. You know, Tradcraft has kind of come out as a reaction against Wicca, what am I saying? Oh, well, there's a ton of, you know, folklore and stuff before Gardner kind of, you know, modelled Wicca or this kind of thing, and now we're trying to revive it and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but one, one of the things that I always find, even in, even in my own uh, my own folk magic practice, is transformation, or, or that sense of transformation and almost homeliness, I guess, is the way I can kind of put it, that comes from connecting to your own land and, and the culture and the landscape around you. And I guess, in a way, the the, the spirit of the land that's inspired everywhere around it, right? And mm. to me, that's kind of how, I guess, I would conceptualize kind of the, the, the mysteries that we experience through Druidism, mm. uh, which is, you know, you're connecting to this kind of archetypal land spirit or essence that's kind of there, and you're experiencing it through, and through that, you you experience a kind of transformation, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think homeliness is a very interesting word. It's it's mm. uh, uh, you know, and it is very much. I mean, there's a way in which, um, you know, the, the 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 another word for homeliness is is one might say is you know, feeling that you're sitting in at the half, around mm. the half, and in in fact, we're developing for for the order. It's just um, going to be open soon. The druid half to welcome. Um 
then because half is the most amazing term because uh you know it comes from this proto-indo-european root meaning fire or warmth so it's mm. got that immediate attraction that warmth it means that you know the center of the home the half center of the home that sense of homeliness but it also has the word heart in it mm. and earth and art and here, you know, there's such an important. This is, yeah, there's so many links going on. Yeah. So many links and resonances, you know. And the, I think one way you can characterize Druidry in, in, in the sense of that and the use of the term homeliness is, 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 about, is that it's an approach that's helping us to come home to our sort of bodies and our hearts and the land beneath us and the, and the world we live in. Because it's very easy to feel not at home. Right. To feel not at home in our bodies if we're feeling uh, you know, out of sorts and not quite at home in our emotional selves because you know, life's tough. And uh, you know, and 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 not at home in the world because the world is extremely tough and difficult to live in, you know. Um so 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 I one of the ways I sort of characterize or sense druidry working or one of its benefits is helping people to feel more more at home. Mm. When we feel more at home, we're less defensive, we're less we're less spiky, um, and we're more likely to be of some use in the world. You know, mm. yeah, absolutely. It, it, and it, it reminds me, I, I, I've been talking to uh, with one of my friends recently um, uh, in, in terms of just conceptualizing, you know, different philosophies and stuff like this. Mm. Um, and this this term kept coming up in our conversations recently. It, it's it's reminds me of what we're talking about here. Um, there obviously there was a lot of talk about mysteries and, and, and the high mysteries and that kind of thing that we can learn through high magic and all this kind of thing which is about transformation um but there is often very little talk about i guess but what like the term that came up for us what we dubbed it is kind of the living mysteries mm. almost which is the kind of it, it, it's kind of like what you're talking about right it, it's that sense of it, it's it, it's not even necessarily a secret doctrine or a secret idea it's just this sense of of familiarity and sense of holiness that we feel and it, it, it's the transformation in the essence that gets revealed to us through nature, you know, because I think especially if we're going more on the magical side of things, you mm. know, if, if you're looking for people with like modern occultists or practitioners or anything, it's very, very easy for people to get very obsessed with like the grimoires or, you know, hardcore rituals and summoning things or doing like I think. And they forget a lot of the time that there is a lot, there, there are a lot of mysteries and things, a lot of transformations, a lot of ideas that can be gleaned through just living and being out in nature being out in the land and just being there you know and just just experiencing i guess the cycles and the seasons and, and that kind of eightfold wheel of the year and all this kind of thing right and it articulates this kind of living mystery as opposed to kind of like the high you know out there kind of mysteries in general so well, well that's a very interesting point you see because if you think about it um we tend to oppose the concept of familiarity Mm. mystery so if it's familiar oh it's oh it's chris again you know oh it's it's the street it's my house right that's like there's or something whatever. that gets taken away right yeah, it. it's, yeah. It's, it's familiar so it's not mysterious something that's mysterious is you know come on this two thousand pound tour to egypt to experience the mysteries you know yeah. <laughs> or, you know um you know read this massive volume which explains the mysteries of you know the ancient secrets and so on but but actually, familiarity and mysteries can be sort of intimately entwined. If you think of the experience of love, mm. when you fall in love with somebody, you you become more you, you have this tremendous sense of familiarity with them, familiarity with this person. They feel so familiar to you. 
but the, in the middle of it, there's something incredibly mysterious. And you, the, and and part of the falling in love process is the sort of surrender, the lack of control, because you don't know what's going on, and it's mm. uncomfortable to you surrender into this. And 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 so, and and I think that's the real experience of mystery is when you you know, as you say, you're out on the land, you're in the garden, you're looking at trees or whatever it is, and you get these moments of sort of. Uh, euphoria or revelation, where the the the, the profound mystery of of the isness of the thing that you're experiencing is just present to you, mm. um, and and it's very easy for our everyday sort of civilized minds to think, well, oh, big deal, yeah, you're just talking about you know um, everyday stuff being yeah. one, and and uh, you know at one level that's true, but there but there's there's something that the relationship between familiarity and mystery is really worth exploring. I think, yeah, absolutely, and and it reminds me of um, I, I I in a way. It, it re- reminds me almost of how limited English can be as a language sometimes, mm. especially compared to, say, like Germanic languages, for example, because we use the like the word to know, the verb to know, we use it to refer to everything, right? Like, like you're saying that, like when you're falling in love, for example, we like when you like that, there's that sense of familiarity that's gathered from somebody and it's, it's a sense of knowing, right? Mm. It, it, like, you know them. In that, in like an, in an intimate sense, and you know something by association with it. You know, you're like, oh well, I know this because I've been near it. It's like uh, if you've known somebody for 20, 30 years, you're like, I oh, I know them. I you know, know them. You, yes. you know, you know how they are. You know their mannerisms. You know their their being. You know who they are. And yet, we can also talk about knowing in a sense of oh well, I know about something. You know, and it's that there's different kinds of knowing. It's like you wouldn't when you think about it. It's a different kind of familiarity, different kind of knowing. Like you wouldn't. Like I wouldn't talk about like I would use the word no. Like if I would say I know my partner very very well, that's very different to how I would say oh well I know about I know druidism. There are two different kinds of knowing. Exactly, and it, and it, isn't it interesting how with and this is what I think you know learning language is so interesting because if you think of the it's the the in almost the intonation of of how you say it, mm. in a way that's dismisses. Oh yes, I know that. I know that. Right. It's this kind of dismissive. I don't even need to think about it. I you know I know that. And 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 so that's the familiarity, if you like. Right. Or or if if somebody says, I, I I really know that, you know, I've experienced it deep inside. I know what you I know what you're talking about. Mm. You know, says I know what you're talking about. You've okay, you you're you're empathizing with me and you really feel you've been there too, kind of thing. Yeah. As opposed to, oh, I know that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess how I'm how I'm conceptualizing it, it's like a way to lead back around what we were saying about the hearth and stuff as well, about this mm-hmm. idea of coming home. The ability, to, I guess, to come home to ourselves and, and where, you know, that sense of meaning, I guess, that where we're looking for, what a lot of people are looking for, is coming back to, I guess, for me, I, I, I would often say conceptualize it through the seasons, you know, like, mm-hmm. like understanding how the seasons and the cycle and how you respond and situate yourself in the cycles of whatever landscape and whatever lifestyle and thing you're in. Mm. Right. So I think in this, in this kind of way, I guess, and this is something we can talk about, but how I, how can the the seasons and I guess the cycles of the land reflect changes and inner changes that are going on within us that help us come home to ourselves? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's, that's, that's such a central feature of Druidry um, and other approaches too. and it's such a sophisticated model, actually. <clears throat> you know, um, again, people can say, oh, I know that. I know that 
you know, spring. Oh, I, I know. I know about the seasons. That's fine. I know about the seasons. The spring is like beginnings, and you know, Samhain and and the autumn equinox right. things, and that's it. But actually, it's so sophisticated um, that that uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't know where to begin with it in a way because it's so sophisticated. But 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 I, you start to get glimpses of it actually. The 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 sophistication of it when you look at opposite festivals. When you look at, at you know the way um, Samhain and Beltane are, are these are these very well known festivals, you know Beltane May Day, um, associated with sort of mating and coming together and all the sort of full flood, flood of, of of flush of spring, you know in May and um, and then and then the the other side of the year you've got Samhain, which is the time that's associated with death and the ancestors. And you know, you think, well, they've got nothing to do with each other, really. And they think, oh, well, no, actually, they're like intimately related because you know we we wouldn't have death without sex. Um, oh, hang on a minute, ninety percent of the TV scheduling is 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 interested in either sex or death, mm. uh, um, and you know, topics in books and so on. Um, huge themes, and of course, one is the way into life. You know, that's how we're incarnated, and then. We go out uh, through the other gateway, you know. Oh, they both used to they 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 were celebrated with twin bonfires. You think, oh, that's interesting, you know, going through the gateway of the two fires into life, leaving through the gateway of the twin fires. Um, yeah, I forgot what your your question was, but but um, no, it's, like, <laughs> I was going off on these kind of tangents are wonderful. I love it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Like it, it's it's just how we're using the the seasons i guess to conceptualize these these cycles that exist and, mm. and how how we can kind of internalize those and i guess like to a certain extent how cycles like that that we're seeing externally going continually on how they can reflect cycles within ourselves as within well, ourselves. how they yeah. can kind of mirror and help us learn about it yes i mean i i think and I'm, I'm really interested in the moment at the um effects that this kind of work has on um, mental health Mental mm. well-being, and uh, there's a if you if you go into YouTube and 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 type in um, Lindisfarne, there's a whole slew of little videos of people who disobey the signs um, to be very attentive to the tides when they cross over. So they drive in their camper van mm. to, towards Holy Island, Lindisfarne, and Holy Island, and then the tide comes in, and there are these pictures of people. You know, people's caravans getting like getting stuck and stuff, yeah. getting stuck and all that. <laughs> so what they so what they've done, what they've got is they've got a series of markers, great big poles about you know fifteen foot high, in the all along the road, so that if you do um, you know get uh, lost, you can you can make your way through the water to the other side, and um, it struck me as a really good image for how the eightfold wheel of the year can help us. In as much as we all need markers to help us go through life, you know, and and in most conventional society, you've got these these you know it's it's Christmas and what the New Year and and I suppose the summer holidays, right? Like the more secularized kind of holiday. yeah, you know, once you've got over Christmas and you're you're doing you're kind of done, yeah, you're like, <laughs> you're just looking to oh, you know, when 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 will this you know, and but. The Eightfold Wheel of the Year gives this sort of cycle every six weeks. You've got something to look forward to. You've got a period of time, all sorts of associations related to each of these festival times that you can meditate on and work with. And um, 
I think it can be very helpful to create a kind of structure for people to live through. So when they're going through a difficult time, they know the analogy, for instance, of this time we're going through now, this shedding. I mean, here in the Northern Hemisphere, we're going through this period from, from you know, and, and it actually starts at the summer solstice, you know, and then gradually the days... Right, it starts coming back down, yeah. Yeah, and the days are getting shorter and shorter and shorter, and then, and then you know, you don't really, you know, the first harvest, beginning of August, no, it's not, it's the middle of summer, we're all having a ball, this is great. But actually, already the combine harvesters are out, you know, in some of the right. fields. And then you get the second harvest, the autumn equinox. And then, oh, but, oh, it's got to keep going, the stuff's got to keep being shed until you get to the ultimate shedding, at uh, at Samhain, you know, third, the end of October, where you die, or you know, symbolically, as it were, sure. yeah. let let go, let go, like that, um, and um, and and then and then there's this moment at the winter solstice, the darkest time, and then there's that moment of of the rebirth of the year at the solstice, and the cycle begins again, and 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 you know, it's not necessarily that it makes difficulty and letting go any easier. But when you when when you under when you practice when you work with the eightfold wheel of the year somehow this cyclical nature of life starts to really sort of uh, uh, resonate with you and 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 it's perhaps easier to go through hard times. Mm. Yeah, because like the way the way I, I often conceptualize it because I'm I'm often I'm finding myself more and more actually just like naturally following it even without like without trying to, right? Without, without even being aware of, of what the seasons or maybe the zodiac sign that astrology is doing or anything like that, or the, like where this wheel of the year is going, I find myself naturally responding to whatever nature is doing at any particular time and naturally following, you know, customs and practices that are associated with kind of year. Mm. Um, but the way it kind of seems to me is almost like these, these markers, like they're almost like journey markers, as you said, right? But these mm. markers that we experience, they almost serve as, posts to awaken like different archetypes within ourselves as, mm. as we're kind of moving through the year and the way it kind of cycles through and all whether it's the eight festivals or, or whatever it is um mm. they serve a role to kind of awaken these archetypes within us as well right mm. Mm. absolutely yeah cool well that's very interesting so I mean, the other thing i would really want to talk to you about um would be your work with Druidcraft tarot as well um, mm. And because I, I I think that's also a very useful way of of I guess conceptualizing these like I guess I guess the journey markers in some way because because Druidcraft it is, it is a much more kind of focused around the wheel of the year as well. So can we, I guess can we talk a little bit about how that how that came about? I guess how how was that inspired? Well, the, the, the um, how it came about was my remembering a. A sort of concept that we have in the teachings of the Order of Bards of its Druid is um, to wait three days uh, before making an important decision. Sometimes, mm-hmm. if it feels right to you, uh, three days being um, based on this idea of you know the triads, the importance of the of the, of the threefold pattern in, in Druidry. Um, and um, I was I was phoned up by the publisher. We'd published the Druid Animal Oracle, and it had been a big success and and they they said um will you do a wiccan tarot they asked me to create a wiccan tarot and my instinctive instinctive reaction was to say no um and uh, but i didn't I, I somehow remembered that thank heavens and i said just give me a few days and i'll get back to you and i, I listened you know what do you want I, I listened to listen to um what they they wanted and their what their ideas were and so on and then over those three days, I let it 
Kirk and, and they applied another principle of um which you find in the psychology um expressed in the rather dull way of not going for premature closure is what it's called in other mm. words not um not rushing to a conclusion really and not not trying to sew it up and get the answer immediately allowing uh the sort of uncomfortable uncertainty to sort of bubble away in the cauldron and 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 see what comes out of it and um you know my rational mind and all and then the third thing i suppose i did is i allowed uh i inhibited the the sort of the override mechanism that my rational mind has you know i think of us who've been brought up in the west with all this kind of this kind of you know it's like he thinks he's in charge Mm. The, the logical rational guy you know because of course he is it's like a no-brainer yeah. i'm in charge because i think in logical sequences you know but 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 gradually you learn that well actually there's there's more than just this logical person there there's you know there's the heart and there's the irrational side there's the transrational side there's there's all sorts of other aspects of the self and you know you get into all that um that left brain right brain stuff around yeah. intuition yeah. so so and, and what came to me really was that my logical mind said, well, you know, the Druids had nothing to do with the tarot or Wiccan. For a start, there was the Wiccan thing. Well, you know, um, it, you know, it couldn't be Wiccan, but it could be Druid craft because Druidry and Wicca do have these similarities. So maybe they can meet around the tarot, if you like. Maybe that's mm. an interesting sort of focus for them to meet. Um, and then it's, but hang on a minute, you know, the Druids, the ancient Druids didn't... Mm. It's the wrong era. It's not, this is yeah. the, the tarot is coming from one stream of magical tradition and, you know, Druidry and Wicca another. And then you realize, well, actually the whole, A, A, you know, who says, you know, who, who's making up these boundaries that you're talking about and B, why not combine them? There's, there's something rather interesting when you get slightly different things. It can, combine, it can be very, yeah. it can be very creative actually and um and and then the, and then and then the big insight for me was around how the tarot could be used one of the wonderful qualities of the tarot is the way it can be used as um as a way of illuminating different spiritual approaches so you can have you know there are zen tarots and kabbalistic tarots and and any any number of different kind of tarots mm. um so you know um so the fact that um you know what, what you know the, the the question came up for you you know what if the tarot it could actually illuminate both both druidry and wicca mm. you know? um and um sorry um you're good <laughs> uh, there we go let's got rid of it um so um so that was that was what um so I, I, after three days i was able to ring them up and say yes and then I had a fascinating journey, really uh, exploring uh, how they could come together mm. uh, around the tarot. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so that's, that's really interesting. So, it illuminates. Like, it's a way of illuminating, I guess, both Druidry and Wicca. And, and for me, like, it's always one of those really funny things, actually, because I, I always struggled with tarot. A little bit, like I, I don't know what it was, like whether it was like the red or white tarots, or it was like any kind of traditional tarots. I always just really struggled connecting with them. Like I, I could, I, I could get decent enough readings if I was doing divination for other people or anything like that. Like I could do it, but I never felt super connected to it. Like, like as a divination system, it just never really worked for me. Yeah. Um, but ironically, uh, one of my friends 
gifted me Druidcraft as well. And like as I started working with it, I was like, this actually like like this makes way like this makes a lot more sense to me. Like it was like and like it's it, what's really interesting is like even today it's still the only tarot that I use. <laughs> you know, I don't use any it, it, other sorry I missed the last sentence there. It's like Druid Druidcraft is the only tarot I'll use. Uh-huh. Great. Okay. Um it, it's the only one that in a way feels like it makes more sense to me than other tarot, which, which sounds interesting, I know, but like, I like as the, you know, I can hear like the traditionalists and like, like you know, the ceremonial magicians kind of screaming at me for this. Um, <laughs> but it, like, it just like for me, it, it, it works in in the context of the wheel of the year, you know, mm, and, and, like, situ- yeah. situating it within that context makes far more sense to me because it's because it's like almost the tarot's are kind of like you know micro journey markers. If like if you take the wheel as like the major journey markers as you mm-hmm. go through the year. Each of the tarot, whether it's the tarot suites or it's the major arcana, each of them are these kind of micro journey markers that illuminate these aspects of of the self that also help you kind of situate what, whatever is going on within the confines of a certain tide of the year, right? Mm, uh, How uh, I experienced that. Well, that's good, and 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 so you've got the 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 cards with the big book because there's yes. A, yeah yeah yes I I I. I I think I think because in the book, you know, I managed to convey these concepts mm. in a way that d- doesn't kind of come across so well in the little booklet that comes. Some people mm. buy the cards and the deck, and it, as a deck with a little booklet, and it doesn't come across in quite quite as well, you know. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, what do you? I guess what do you think about this idea? And I guess that when we're working with a tarot, that they that all the tarot it can illuminate these these archetypes of these aspects in ourselves in relation to wider cycles i guess well what's what's really interesting isn't it is to is to ask yourself the question you know when you're using something like this is this just random i mean am i are is this a selection of images that are evocative in and of themselves and you could literally pick anyone at random and it would have something to say to you and that's a convincing explanation. However, my experience of using it indicates that something more is going on, that it's not completely random. And this is where we really enter the realm of, of mystery. What I mean by this is, is if you if you lay if you shuffle the cards and instead of um if you lay them out in, if you lay them out and then you get somebody, the person who's having the reading. Uh, to select the cards themselves and then and then place them face down and then they turn them up. Um, you're for a start, you're avoiding you're avoiding the the situation. You, you know you can if you've ever haven't shuffled a deck comp- fully, you mm-hmm. can get that phenomenon where, you know, um if it's a new deck, for instance, you you do it in the in I've forgotten the the, the way for where you shuffle them in stacks you know and you've got the stack mm. and you end up yeah. then you take five off the top and you find you've got one of cups two of cups three of cups four of cups and five of cups and that's just because you haven't shuffled it enough and it's you know so um, whereas if you're picking them out from it doesn't matter if that's happened because you're picking them out uh, along the line and and you can get such significant readings. That the chances of having that particular combination are so enormous mm. that you can't see how it's random anymore. Um, the 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 other thing, the other interesting phenomenon is the, is is the rogue cards or the wild cards, which sometimes mm. 
where when you're sh- when you're selecting the cards, one will sort of jump out almost of its own volition, and you learn that that's often really significant. And you put it to one side, and then you do the reading, and then you pick up this random card that's just hopped out on its own, and and sometimes it's the sort of clincher in it, and it absolutely strikes home. You know, yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah. it's 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 really interesting, yeah. yeah. Um, and like, apart because you, you you were mentioning earlier, like one of the one of the core differences, I guess, between Druidcraft and Wicca is the, this idea of Druidcraft of focusing a bit more on artistic expression as well, mm. and that the, the art is also an important aspect of, of the mystery or the wider mystery as well, because it communicates certain things. So, because the artwork and stuff in in, in the cards is is beautiful, it's, it's mm. gorgeous, right? And how I what, what what role does the artwork serve in, in in inspiring us or awakening certain things within us when we're going through a reading or going through things as well? Yeah, exactly. Well, I think I think what happened is Will Worthington, you know, who was the artist who painted um, uh, the Druid Animal Oracle and the Druid Plant Oracle, and then also also this. Um, he he paints in um, uh, tempura. You know, there's sort of mm. egg yolk and you know, and right, uh, yeah, rabbit, rabbit glue derived from rabbits' bones. You know, it's like you know, very like traditional craft stuff. Yeah. On wood, you know, painted on wood, and you know, it's just incredible. And um, and there's a kind of earthiness and a naturalness in in those. You know, the furniture. If you look at, if you sort of look at the furniture that's used, the chairs that people are sitting on, or. Mm. You know, um, you know, his sort of attention to details. So you feel as if there's a sort of world there that he's sometimes somehow managed to create these windows into this other world, which is very, very sort of earthy and real. Mm. Um, I think that's that's part of a lot of tarot images. I, I had the real good fortune to spend a couple of weekends with a friend who ran a tarot training school in Holland. And he was a tarot collector, and he had hundreds of tarot decks mm. and hundreds of books on the tarot. And when I was working on creating that tarot, uh, I would I spent a couple of weekends with him, just going through all these decks and all the images and just soaking them all in. You know, a lot of tarot decks, in my opinion, are sadly rather poor. And there's a reason. There's a reason for that at one level. Uh, which is that, I mean, it's not an excuse, but it's po- perhaps an explanation for, for the quality of some of the artwork, mm. is that there are, uh, what is it, 70, um, 72 cards. Yeah. And publishing contracts are usually given are usually a year. A publisher agrees to do something, and you have a year to come up with the goods. Mm. So that's kind of okay if you're writing a book. Because a year's quite a long time, and you've also probably been cooking it for years. Right. I, you know, my average books are you know, often the sort of five, ten-year projects, and then, and then you at some point you have this years contract where you have to really knuckle down and do it. Yeah. But the artist has to come up with seventy-two images in a year. That's right. it's, it's, you know, it's very, very demanding. Yeah, mm. yeah. And I noticed that a big a, a kind of breakthrough moment for me with the tarot was I, 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 another thing I do when I write books is I, is I get all the relevant sort of books that I can find that other people have been written. A, because I don't, I don't want to repeat, there's no point in me repeating what other people have said. And B, I want to find out, really immerse myself in the subject. Mm. And what I discovered was that 
I, I couldn't find anybody who didn't do this. I maybe, but in all the books I consulted, everybody, all the authors would begin by talking about the major arcana, then, then the, uh, then the, uh, the pip cards, mm. then the last section of the book would always be the court cards, the sixteen court cards, and you could almost feel the author running out of energy by the time because the the major arcana is so powerful because of these powerful archetypes. You get to by the time you get to the cooker, they just run out of steam, and you would f- just feel it in the book. Mm. A big insight for me was: hang on a minute, the tarot is about uh, is, is about humans. It's about character. It's about people. It's about souls. Um, there's this typology: the sixteen different kinds of people who are the court cards. Let's do the opposite. Let's start at the beginning. So I wrote about the court cards first mm. as a typology. You know, 16 different kinds of people. What does that mean? And then the rather interestingly, one of the most, um, uh, uh, what's the word, um, sort of validated personality tests is called the Myers-Briggs type invention. Right, yeah. And, and it, it's it got 16 personality types. You know, Myers-Briggs found that, you know, four by four was was the way to go. Um, and, the, and there's interesting ways you can match them and so on. So, you know, so so that, let's start start where the tarot starts, really, which was, is with people. 16 times mm-hmm. and then let situate them in the wheel of the year as you as you brought up you know yeah. the way the the suits can be seen to track the wheel of the year and then within that the you know these extraordinary archetypes functioning through through the personalities of the court cards um the mm. major arcana yeah well i guess this, this was kind of another another question that was on my mind um is like to what extent i guess and i and you're you're answering it here right but like to what extent do you think we can see these like the tarot as as almost like their own their own characters their own beings that are well, kind of teachers that we can kind of interact with and especially if we're situating them in the wheel of the year you know are they you know are they archetypal and representative of like people or, or spirits or archetypes or forces that are currently you know occurring in in the world that are trying to give us messages for that portion of the year that we're in i guess you know well, you know, one of the most powerful ways to work, I think, is 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 to is to treat the tarot, and in fact, generally, I mean, from this sort of magical spiritual sort of orientation, one of one of one of the characteristics of that orientation vis a vis life and the world is to sort of treat is to be incredibly respectful of the great mystery and to tr- and to and to take this sort of animist perspective that sees everything as sort of alive. And so, the, seeing the tarot as a living being, if you like. So, when mm. I've done sort of tarot training workshops, I've always started off by uh, inviting the participants to sort of enter into a meditation, and for us to um, address the tarot as a being, and to ask for their blessing and their inspiration, and and to to create a kind of tarot temple. In that, there's a there's an mm. online course that I. That I present with with uh, a colleague, Steve Hansen, or Transformation Through Tarot, and in it, you know, we start off. And we suggest that you create a sort of tarot um, temple, laboratory, study in your imagination. Create it as, however you like. If you like the idea of an old library with tarot mm-hmm. images on the wall, or however you want to construct it, or a little bothy in the country, however you want to do it, and that's where you go to sort of work with the tarot. And then you relate to the images. And then if you're in this altered state and you decide to interact with the hermit or 
uh, you know, one of the, the other figures, the you know, uh, the high priestess. And, you know, I think you're going to get more out of it than just treating it as a sort of intellectual exercise. Right. Like rather than thinking that you're starting with just just arbitrary cards that you're kind of again you become familiar with, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, that they, they are they are these kind of archetypes that that are, are communicating certain things to you. And that's yeah. yeah, it's a really interesting idea. Yeah, I have to try it. Yes. <laughs> um yeah, but um I guess as well, because the other thing that I'm, I'm conceptualizing, because like I guess the two major the two major forces, I guess, that usually exert themselves on the tarot are like astrological correspondences. And in Druidcraft, it's also the, the wheel uh, things. But there's also, I guess, the elements as well, mm. uh, how it, things progress through, through the elements. Um, and I guess that that's briefly yeah, something that we, we haven't touched on, which is rather ironic considering it's Druidcraft. But I guess how 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 do the how do the elements kind of fit into Druidcraft? Like how are they conceptualized as as forces, I guess, and, and I guess through the tarot as well, but mainly Druidcraft, I guess. Um, well, I think, I think, you know, it's a very sort of rich field and we use that when we start the, the, the Druid training and when you do the training of, of Obod, uh, the Order of Bards, Evits and Druids, and you go into it, you know, it, right, you know, from fairly early on, you sort of be, begin a journey around the elements mm. and th there's a way in which our society has tended to educate us in, in the realm of air. You know, um, you know, we 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 might have been very sporty at school and got into doing a lot of sport, but unless we were lucky enough to be, you know, in these sort of younger people who've gone through forest schools and who've mm -hmm. you would learnt about growing things and interacting with nature, we probably. I'm trying to think. If I think back on my education, I don't think we had any interaction with nature. Yeah, I don't think I did. Like, it's not a thing you see in in, in British schools, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just don't you don't interact with the natural world. That's always pretty weird when you think about it. Yeah. Um, but you don't. So you're in the realm of concepts. And my sort of memory of my school life was looking out of the window at the sun and the trees, um, being fantastically bored and unable to really understand why I had to know algebra. Mm. Or you know square roots or something like that. You know, it's like I just didn't get it, and and um, and and so what we do when you know in the start of the drill training is we 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 take you to the mud if you like. You mm. know, is which is uh, you know getting really getting involved with earth, which also has these associations with practicality, practicality down to earthness, um, get being real uh, grounded. Which is why, you know, it's the sort of corrective to the, you know, people talk about new age stuff as being woo woo and airy. Right, like very kind of ungrounded, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Angels and fairies and, you know, only positive thoughts and all the rest of it. Uh, well, Struidry isn't like that. You know, it brings you, brings you down to earth, practical. So we have, you know, ceremonies that we do with earth and sort of connecting with the earth and thinking about earthy things and so on. And then, and then moving into the realm of water with you know the feelings the emotions and and you know it's not water first then you don't plunge people straight into sort of engaging with with you know because it you can you can drown easily you know and yeah. and uh so once you've got some kind of stability with the earth uh, connecting to the earth then you can move into engaging at the uh, with both you, you know uh the emotions and the sort of psychological correlates of, of water but also with water 
itself, you know, mm. and and the um, you know the the mystery and the extraordinary nature of that, you know, and then only then uh, moving into engaging, you know, with air, um, and you know, a common experience can be be people who who never really were comfortable in air. I mean, some of us are comfortable in air, and we we're quite you know that's. We feel at yeah, home. A very like academic kind of conceptual. Academic and we yeah. enjoy, you know, conceptualizing and reading and so on. But lots of people don't. So so it's incredibly sort of reassuring for them to be to be allowed to feel at home in in the earth and mm. and water, not hurried along. So again, another thing we do in the training is we don't have a time limit on it. Mm. And although you can get through that first level in a year, most people take about four. Um, but some people take seven, eight, nine, ten years, and 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 then and then and then finally to fire, where it's appropriate that it should be the last because you know you can get burnt with fire, mm. um, you know. Uh, so yeah, yeah. So, so what, what kind of like what kind of associations do does, does fire have in in the Druid card? I assume I guess will inspiration maybe in, in inspiration, intuition, enthusiasm, mm. um, energy, vitality, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, I guess is that where uh, honestly this is um, I guess the last major concept I'm going to touch on. I guess a little bit, which is uh, always comes up in association with Drury, uh, is the idea of the Arwen, uh, mm. which we fulfill. I guess is permeated throughout Drury to that extent. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I guess is, is Arwen kind of conceptualized as as part of fire, or does it sort of pervade all the elements? I guess. Well, well, well. That's interesting because um, these. Um uh you know there's this concept of the fire in the head i'm trying to think of um uh that piece of music wb yates uh and and somebody set it to music i was listening it to, to the other day and i mm -hmm. i i can't I, I i can't get it but i can just hear it in my mind um and um the so so the arwen can be experienced as fire in the head you know you know when you're on fire with a new idea you know right you're, so it's kind of like in, like inspirited almost like the, the massive yeah yeah you're yeah. just you're just you know um uh absolutely on fire with this new passion or idea or whatever um but um it can also be sensed i think in in the watery sense you know because i went essentially means sort of blessings of the gods and mm. it's interesting you know that because you've got both fire and water are the two elements that are most associated with it, which are the two elements that the goddess Brigid uh, works with, who's the goddess of the forge mm. and of um, poetry and mm. of midwives. And you think, I think she's like referred with the hearth as well, isn't she? Like a domestic and, deity as well. The hearth, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And so you think, well, what, what's that about? And you say, at one level, you know, the domestic deity in the hearth is like, you know, making soup, absolutely vital mm. sort of function, you know, um, cooking and all the rest of it and keeping keeping everybody warm. But at another level, you know, midwifery and poetry and forging, they're all talking about creation, you know, creating mm. things. And um uh and that this core idea in Druidry around Arwen is that creativity doesn't come from us. It's not arising out of the personality, it's coming from beyond us. So it's coming from the source, if you like, uh, which you might conceive of as, you know, Bridget or as the, the cauldron of the goddess or, you know, however you conceive it. But it, it, it comes from there and then it flows through you and then you add to it your flavor and your color and, you know, 
and and give it out to the world. And when you hear about this, it's common for people who 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 do experience creativity. They they recognize that quality of creativity seeming to coming from beyond themselves. Mm, like arises from it just arises else. from yeah. somewhere and you know you you you'll see interviews with songwriters saying well i didn't really excuse me i didn't really write this song you know it just wrote itself suddenly one day right it's kind of things come through or yeah mm. it's, it's a yeah like i guess like do we have like like is do we have like is it like a historical concept in from georgia or is it more in in like uh, the modern stuff uh, no, it's it's a concept that comes from. I'm trying to remember where it first is mentioned. It's certainly mentioned in sort of 12th century manuscripts in Wales. There were the Arwenithion in Wales. These people who were who were um, inspired, and uh, the accounts of them show um, how how you know the fire in the head, mm. uh, how they were you know. Um, you know, you could even speculate whether these people were having some kind of, um, you, you know, breakthroughs, which you know could be interpreted as psychotic or or or, or inspired. Yeah. You know, and there's that mm. fine line between the two, and that you know all sorts of interesting relationships between them. Um, but 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 um, no, it goes back. It goes back to this. Uh, you know, the Welsh concept of you know of our Arwen being this poetic gift, and you have the story, the story of Taliesin, the finest poet in the land. Who was gifted with Arwen? Mass uh, mm. in the Irish tradition is the story of Finn McCool, who um, tasted it. Interestingly, they both use their thumbs. Finn McCool, a splash of the salmon of wisdom's liquor lands on his thumb, and he sucks mm. it and becomes illuminated. Mm. And in in Wales, Gwion Bach, um, a splash from the cauldron of the goddess Caridwen splashes on his thumb, and he sucks his thumb, and he's illuminated. Mm. So, so. Two different different stories, but salmon and and cauldron different, but but saying the same thing that illumination comes from beyond, from this divine source. Of course, mm. the salmon is swimming in the well, which is the well is the cauldron, is the goddess, is the earth, is you know. Um, so so again, we have that centrality of art within uh, within Druidry. You have this sort of nature spirituality, but with art playing this very central role. Role and the sort of the role of the human, rather than us being sort of um, pa- not pa- passive and active participants in the natural world, which we are, and and our spirituality helping us to open to that, but also actually being co-creative, you know, or being creative, and 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 that uh, and that we can actually contribute to the world. This extraordinary sort of ability we have that other creatures don't to mm. create art, you know. Mm. Yeah, so we're almost like in our way, we are we are almost like channels for the Arwen essentially to come through into the, into the world, right? Absolutely, it's an extraordinary idea and 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 one that I haven't seen articulated in other spiritual approaches. I mean, I don't think it's articulated in Wicca. It's not, not articulated mm. no, in I can't established, think of anything. Yeah. established religions in the same way. It's kind of pretty unique to Druidry, I think. Mm. Yeah, not, it's, it's, it's a unique idea. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, okay. So in that, in, that, in that case, then we can um, we can begin. I guess that's a wonderful place to stop. I guess and start wrapping up. Um, mm. But I guess in that sense, are there any? I'm curious if there are any for, for people who are sort of new to engaging with the land in this kind of way. You know, they're they're new to engaging a kind of more a more land based spirituality because I think it is a 
one of the issues i think i, I mean i don't want to say it's issues because i don't think there are any issues per se with spiritual paths but one of the things i see very often is you know especially on people who are coming at it from maybe religious standpoints as well and they're coming into spirituality there is always this idea that you know your spirituality kind of takes you out of the body or it takes you away to some kind of mystical spiritual plane or whatever it is right um so for people who are i guess coming to this this form of spirituality as a, as a land-based spirituality for the first time because it is kind of a complete 180 it's a shift right i guess because people mm, are used to kind of yeah. trying to transcend the body right so what, what are there any kind of like well, I, I don't know meditations practices things like that that you, you could recommend to anyone who, who is beginning this kind of seasonal living or cyclical living based mm-hmm. spirituality that helps them come into come into contact i guess with, with something like the arwen for example yeah, yeah. But I think you've pointed to an extremely interesting uh, detail here, which is something I think that we're coming sort of historically, more and more people are coming to this point of, as you said, the 180 degree shift, yeah. is that is that religions and spiritualities have tended to focus on up and out, yeah. uh, is is you know in its most extremes you have say the sort of dharmic ideas of of you know overcoming suffering and and learning how to not be reincarnated you know i mean you know the tibetan book of the dead the focus is on you know when you die try not to come back you know mm-hmm. but if you do you know try to come down into a good couple you know who will give you a good life kind of thing mm. uh you know, um so there are all sorts of ways of trying to make sure you don't come back um and and you know certainly in the monotheistic religions the idea is you know you've only got one shot down here and this isn't this isn't really what it's about it's about mm. the afterlife you know um whereas now we're increasingly becoming aware i think in large numbers of us that that's not a helpful way to look at things. And there's an extraordinary book called um, LSD in the Mind of um, God, I think it is, um, by a guy called Christopher Bash, B-A-C-H-E, mm. who's a professor of religious studies, who went took 25 high-dose LSD trips at great cost to himself. So this, is, yeah, I'm sure. Sure. I'm, this isn't a pitch to recommend this at all. <laughs> but just say that... that but he, his focus, because he was a professor of religious studies, his focus during his journeys was to try and get to the deepest meaning that he could. And one of the big insights that he got that, you know, when you read the book, it's very um, striking and, and feels very sort of authentic, that, that that's not the nature of reality, that the up and out approaches mm. are not helpful because... And that the 180 degree shift you talk about is the most helpful approach, which is, I mean, in and down doesn't really mm. say. But having said that, in and down does, does you, you know, you asked about practices. And I think, I think the first thing to get is that, is to get the set, the set right, the mindset right, mm. by drawing attention to this issue as you've done. So I think that's a really good place to start. You, you know, do you want to get, go up and out? Uh, okay, well, in that case, you know, follow some other path. But if you want, if you want to follow this this path, you know, what I'd suggest is it might be interesting for you to co- try and go down and in. And mm-hmm. the interesting thing is, if you literally, in terms of your meditation, if you go down, and by down, I mean literally in your awareness. We tend to find when we close our eyes that the focus of our awareness is in our heads, 
So that's mm. where we tend to spend a lot of time uh, in our awareness. And we move it down and we drop down into the belly or the, or the heart. The heart is a good place to, to drop into, the sort of heart space, as people call it, heart space or down into the belly. And, and you've gone down and in. But actually, if you start to just breathe there and just open to your sense of being present in that space, what tends to start to happen is that your awareness expands and starts to include your whole body. It's not going away. It's not taking you up and out. It's including. It's encompassing. So your, your awareness starts to spread out to include your body and then to include the space around it. And you can sort of keep going just as you focus on your breathing so that gradually you're aware of being, you know, sitting on the earth or being on the earth and you sense the, 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 the earth beneath you and the trees, the forests and lakes and the oceans. And you can choose to, to feel your gratitude for, for, for being in this wonderful natural world and your love for it, you're cherishing it. And you can and you can include and you can start to include other people in that. You can include the animals and all creatures. And at a certain point, I think you get to the sort of limit of how far you want to go with that. You can carry on going and include the cosmos and just keep spreading out and out. So suddenly you're you're, you know, or gradually you're aware of the whole planet and then the stars and the universe around you and all the planets, and it just keeps going out to the galaxies. You might want to go as far as that and to feel your appreciation of the whole universe, all these sparkling, sparkling uh, celestial bodies and the suns and moons and so on. And then gradually move back. And then imagine you're coming back now to just the area around you, just to, you know, some woodland and you know, springs and streams, lakes, forests, and then just coming back and then just gradually coming back to an awareness of your body, you know, and then back and then your awareness is back in your belly or your heart. Then you come back, come back out and then you just sense yourself being seated, present, fully present where you are here and now. And then when you feel ready, you open your eyes. Mm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, when I started talking about that, I wasn't thinking of doing a meditation, but we sort of dropped into a meditative that space. Happens, yeah. You know, and and it probably was only five minutes or something like that. Or before, yeah. You know, but but it's but what I found amazing is is how quickly, in a way, one can get that sense of being at home in the world, being at home in one's body. To, to circle right back to the beginning of our discussion about feeling at home. Mm. You know, I think a, a sort of meditations like that, where you're not trying to transcend, but you're trying to actually engage with and be fully, feel fully embodied, feel at home in your body, at home in the world around you, at home in the universe, grateful for it, loving it, you know, and then just coming back is, I think that's a, a, a nice way perhaps to begin. And yeah, yeah, it, it, make, it makes complete sense, I guess. And, you know, what strikes me um, as, as interesting with this kind of thing is even if you look at, um, 
that that kind of tripartite division of sort of bards, obates, and druids, because I think it originally comes from Strabo, uh, mm. the, the geographer. And one of the things he says is that like the druids' primary role is as moral philosophers. Mm. So they talk about like it, like their main role in society is to ask about morality, to ask about what it means, sort of give like, like ethics and like what it means to live a good life and it means yeah. to live connectedly, right? So we're talking about morality. Mm. And coming down, I guess, and connecting to this, this, you know, this system that we're in, that mm. whether it's the earth, whether it's the society that we're in, whether it's the culture, whatever it is, like like a lot of our even even more generally, a lot of our ethics, a lot of our morals arise from observing nature observing culture observing people right in that way they mm. are completely more moral philosophers and like we said you know um the, the transmigration of souls and our reincarnation is a belief that was also present among the druids as well mm. um and yeah there's never really this understanding that they will you know they'll reincarnate and transcend out of the body like they're reincarnating and, and coming back to the body every now and again you know they come mm. back every time which is yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely it's just beautiful it's 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 incredible um well so yeah so with that i guess we can uh we can wrap we can wrap up i guess um and, well thank you for the pupil meditation too i'm sure that's gonna be very lovely for people <laughs> thank you chris thank you chris well it's been a pleasure to talk to you you too